Good morning. Hey, I am, uh, I'm super glad that you're here this morning, and we'll, uh, in a moment we're going to dive into uh, uh, some stuff about David as we kind of look to uh, finish this little series of, about him. Um, we're still, of course, studying David, uh, the, the books of Samuel in our classes, and we'll be wrapping those up over the next uh, uh, several weeks. And, um, and so we'll, we're about to that place in the classes where we're kind of turning into David's story a little bit a little bit more. And I hope you're enjoying that. I think those classes have been uh, really superb. They've been really great for me. Um, I want to say something before I begin today uh, about some things coming up uh, very soon. Of course, we have a, a lot of different activities going on right now. We've got, uh, we had a little fall festival last weekend over at Johnson Lane, uh, and uh, this, uh, I guess a week from tomorrow, we have our Thanksgiving box you know, uh, giveaway here. Uh, so that's coming up, and all kinds of just neat, neat things coming in the way we reach out to our community. I want to encourage you for some, something that we're going to try to do in December, though, okay? And it's not really anything that we can plan in any sort of way, uh, or I can't administer it. Uh, all I want to do is say this. We want to try to focus through the month of December on uh, getting back towards a habit of inviting people to come worship with us, okay? And that may seem like a very easy automatic thing, but it's something we don't really talk about a lot. And uh, frankly, I think we're kind of in a habit where we don't do it a lot, okay? And uh, so we're going to try all together. Uh, I want us to take some time in uh, over the next couple of weeks and be thinking about somebody in your world, in your orbit, uh, that you would like to invite to come be a part of us, to join worship, okay? Uh, see if you can get them to come for a day in December. See if you can, see if you can get them to come for the whole month, okay? Um, and let me tell you, there are people in your world that I don't know. I would come do it, okay? But you know them. They're your friends. And uh, we want to reach out to them and, and invite them to come be a part of the story of Jesus and the uh, the gospel that we're, uh, we've been blessed to be a part of, okay? And so th I want you to think about that. And that is for the grandmas and the grandbabies, okay? Kids, be thinking about who it is in you, they, or your friends at school that you want to invite to come and join you for church uh, some week in December. Uh, adults, think about somebody that you work with or somebody in your family, somebody in your neighborhood uh, that you think would be blessed by being a part of, uh, of the church uh, here at Cedar Lane. Think about that. Okay, and uh, talk about it as a family, and let's let's do that. Can we? I, I think it'd be really great if everybody over the course of December invited at least two or three people to come be a part of our worship. Can we do that? Yeah. We can probably do that. Okay, so think about it. Um, and this is a this is something that I want to say for everybody. I've been thinking about uh, who it is in my world that I need to. Um, come to invite be part of us too okay so i'm going to do it if you you'll join with me we're going to have a we're, we're, i think that'll be good for us okay we have a lot to share we have a lot to celebrate and uh, we want to be making being intentional about sharing that with our neighbors okay let's pray together oh good god holy god loving god righteous and just god oh king of creation we bow in your presence and we pray that you would be with us uh, in our time today so that we can 
uh, learn more about what it means to be people of, uh, people of you and people that seek you. And we pray that through our time here in worship um, and our time in classes and things like that today, that we will uh, be more conformed uh, to, uh, more transformed uh, by the renewing of our minds, just like Brad spoke about a moment ago. In the, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. David is such a fascinating uh, character in the story of Samuel or the story of God's, God's people. And if you remember back when uh, we first, the one thing that happens is, as Samuel's tale unfolds is that we start to get hints that David is coming uh, way before he actually shows up on the scene. Remember how, uh, how the story of uh, Hannah, who's is actually uh, there during the time of Eli. She's this, working with this priest, Eli, and, and worshiping there and praying there. And she says a prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2 that I think is very clearly pointing towards uh, David's uh, piece of the story. It says, Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in victory. There is no holy one like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bowels of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry are fat with spoil. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, and he also exalts. And he raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the Lord, earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. And he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. Before not by might does one prevail. The Lord, his adversaries shall be shattered. The Most High will thunder in heaven, and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And he will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed one. Well, that's a very strange thing for Hannah to pray at that point, isn't it? He'll give strength to his king? What king are we talking about? There's not even a king on the scene yet, right? Eli is still in charge here. And then there's going to be Samuel after him. And then after that, there's going to be Saul and then we start to have some David, who sounds, I think, this prayer, kind of, this song is about, right? One who uh, was raised up, uh, even though he was poor, he's made rich. And he's, uh, he's raised up from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap, and makes them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Doesn't that kind of sound like David's story a little bit? And then later on, this... This prayer that, that he, uh, the Lord will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed one. I think in the story of Samuel, that doesn't sound like Saul that we're talking about there, right? Sounds a lot more like David, probably. And so we start to get hints already in this story that the story of Samuel is going to be this story of reversal. Where the one who looks like he's on the bottom is going to end up on top. Because his faithfulness to God. 
course, we have other hints along the way, but one of the most powerful that echoes through the story is in 1 Samuel chapter 13. And this is actually still a good bit before, uh, long before David will actually take power. It happens right after uh, Saul has become king, really. Um, that's only happened a few chapters before. And there's this story where Saul uh, uh, botches a sacrifice. And after that, uh, Samuel says to Saul, he says, You've done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded of you. The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him to be ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And of course, as the story develops, uh, we realize that this person, this, this hidden man in the story, uh, that will both fulfill what Hannah prayed about earlier in the, in the story and also what Samuel is prophesying here, that that person is no other than David. He's the man that God uh, sought after who has uh, something of his own heart, his own values, that wants what God wants. And so the story that develops from David is a story about God working with his people and negotiating with his people after they kind of turn, they make this sort of a, uh, they desire a king and God says that that's a rejection of his authority and his sovereignty over the people, but he rolls with it. God goes with them. He negotiates that with them. And they have this first king and Saul turns out to be something that seems to seek his own glory and his own honor. And then God says, I'm, I'm still seeking someone. I sought out someone who had my own heart. And that's David. I don't know what to do with that with David because uh, David has, of course, a story that has so many turns. And in, in many places he exhibits great humility and he, he does the right thing. And he's a person that, uh, as some of the texts that you'll read in class today shows us, that he's a, he's a person that gathers up the lowly of Israel. And he cares for those who are dispossessed and poor. And uh, it, it, the text is really, really clear that David is a king that wants to look after the little guy. This is a king that's not just in it for himself most of the time. He's mostly in it to be a good king and to ex uh, administer justice and righteousness for the, for the land. So much so that for many, for, for many, many generations, okay, the books of Kings and Chronicles will judge the future kings by whether or not they followed in the steps of David. We'll say they either did or they didn't. Right, and that's kind of their, the judgment that God uh, that God lays on the future generations of the kings. But we also know that David's story uh, contains a lot of things that are terrible too. He uh, seems to be a failure as a father, and he uh, exhibits a lack of self control. He doesn't know how to restrain his own passions, uh, and 
and there are times when that gets the better of him and he ends up uh, becoming a person filled with violence or a person that's filled with, uh, um, that, that collects things just for himself. And there are several times in the story where uh, David just seems to be out of control. I don't really know how to say it besides that. He's a passionate guy. And sometimes that gets the better of him and he, he does terrible, stupid stuff in the heat of the moment. And when he does that, because he has, as he rises to power, when David lets his passions get the best of him, people suffer. Other people hurt. So on one hand, you have this guy that is, a, uh, is said to be a man after God's own heart, and then there's other parts of the story where he fails miserably and ends up hurting and harming the very people he's supposed to protect. I mean, what do you do with that? What do you do with what do you do with this whole long David story? There's a couple of things that I want to say about David as uh, we kind of begin to turn towards some other things. And one of them is that I think what we see in, in David is God's desire to seek out a partner who will work with him for God's own purposes and mission in the world. I mean, that's the thing that Saul, Saul seems so disconnected from what God wants. And honestly, he doesn't really most of the time seem like he really cares. Like there's times when he's been given a mission by God and he kind of does, he kind of goes along with it. But Saul seems to me to be someone for whom Yahweh is an inconvenience. Like something to kind of be taken care of on the side. But on the other hand, for David... Okay, David seems to be the kind of partner that God wanted. Someone that would look for what God was trying to do in the world. And David is constantly inquiring of God and asking what's next in the story. And what, which choice he should pursue. And that's the kind of partner that God wants to be with him. That's what he had wanted with the judges. That's what he wanted with Eli or with Samuel. And, and, and frankly, that's just what God always wants. God always is looking to do good on the earth through people who will join him and seek partnership with God. And David exemplifies that in so many ways. It's one of those undercurrents of the story that you don't notice until you start reading closely. David is always asking what God wants. He's always seeking what God wants. I wrote in the bulletin about how when uh, Saul is finally confronted in, uh, in or, or confronts these priests uh, in, in the city of Nob in this story that we're going to talk about. And the priest says to Saul, he says, uh, you know, or, or, or Saul says, hey, I heard that David came and inquired of the Lord. I can't believe that you helped him. He's running away from me. And the priest says, Did you, do you really think that this was like a special thing? Do you think this is the first time that David has come and inquired of the Lord? No. That's just part of David's habit. David is a person that is seeking out what God wants. That was, that's what kind of partner God is uh, or David is for God and God's work in the world. David doesn't just want what David wants. He wants what God wants. And he seeks that out. And then the other thing that I would say about uh, David in his, in his story, it is a remarkable piece of, of the long David saga that at many times in the story, we find David confronted 
by lots of different individuals through the story. Ryland uh, brought up a piece in the Lord's Supper meditation last week about the woman from Tekoa who in the middle of the, the story of um, Absalom like, confronts David, right? Just like a random person, one of his subjects. And she confronts him with this voice of wisdom. Another story in the class material today is the story of Abigail and Nabal. And that's a story about someone, uh, Abigail, who comes and she confronts David. She confronts David and challenges David. And David doesn't respond to her by rejecting her advice. He says, I think I should marry you. <laughs> right? Husbands. How many of you husbands sought out a wife that would correct you often? I know many of you got that, but how many of you sought that? You sought that out, right? I did. Love you. Right? And so then there's other places in the story where, in the, in the most harsh one that we talked about in the Bathsheba story, where, where Nathan comes, this prophet from God, walks into the court and gives David this incredible challenge and accuses him of theft and murder, un injustice. David doesn't respond by saying, get this prophet out of here. He responds with repentance. He responds by turning his heart back. David is relentlessly responsive. And there are so many points in the story where he has his own way challenged. And he comes to this, he just has this habit of saying he will turn back and try to do the right thing and try to do better. This is what, this is what I love about David so much. Is that David is not at all a perfect person. He's not a perfect king. But he's able to receive instruction. He's able to receive confrontation and challenge. Not just from people that would be in power over him, but even from people that are suppo supposedly below him. He hears it and he responds to it. I, I get to coach a lot of soccer. I get to coach some middle school soccer around here. And you know what? I like having a kid on our team that can shoot the ball and that has good foot skills and all that. But you know what I like even more? Someone that's coachable. Someone that I can talk to and say, look, this is something you're doing. Can we try to do it just a little bit in a different way? I mean, that's great, right? Somebody that listens and responds. If you don't learn to receive correction... You're stuck where you are as you are. But if you can respond and listen and have the humility to change course. One thing I like to think about our church and the culture that we're trying to create here is I hope that this is a place where we kind of understand that from the people that have been here the longest to the people that have just shown up at our door, everybody has a next step. Everybody has a way to grow. I, I'm going to say this, and I hope, hope you'll understand what I mean here. I have been in gr greatly pri privileged to go to a lot of elders' meetings. It's really fun. 
one thing that makes it really nice actually here at our church is that I really honestly believe that our shepherds are committed to growing themselves. I think that the person that makes a really good shepherd is not just the person that believes they have it all together, but a person that is open to still taking a path of growth. And I see that literally in all of our shepherds here. It's great. It's really great. And I hope that we have a culture that says from our little second graders to our shepherds and to our our senior adults and to our young pros and everybody here, I hope we have a culture that everybody grows. That everybody is looking to what it means for you to be a disciple and for you to take the next step that God has placed in front of you. And it might be different than where somebody else needs to grow. But you've got something. David is the king of Israel. And yet he still finds places that he needs to grow. And he seeks those things out. And he listens when people bring them up to him. I love that about David, and I think it says a lot about who he was. When the scriptures think, uh, uh, talk about David at the beginning of the story, even before he's been anointed, that God has sought out someone with his own heart, I think it would be very foolish to read that as though David was a finished product. The little shepherd boy didn't know everything he needed to know yet. But he had the ability, the capacity to listen to God and to keep seeking and to keep moving, to keep growing. And I think that's part of the deal, right? Now, That means that in the end of the story, David still, it's not like he became perfect right before he died or something like that. He has a dynamic relationship with God that means he fails and is picked back up and he fails again. Sometimes hard. But the end of the story, I think what we we find is that uh, Israel is not going to have the luxury of having a perfect king, right? I mean, David, even the man who is pliant and is a person after God's own heart, David still exhibits the uh, tendencies of kings to to use his power for his own good and to hurt people. So by the end of the story, we're wrapped up, and and the story kind of looks to the future, and it looks towards uh, what's going to happen with David's descendants all the way through. We end up at the end of David's story, and even though this was the best shot they had, we realize that Israel still hasn't found that perfect king. They're still looking for a king when the story wraps up. I think that's part of what we're meant to see. It's not like when Samuel and uh, when God says to Samuel that they've rejected me, but we'll give him a king anyway. It's not as though um, there actually was this perfect king that was better than God's rule, right? And the story is meant to show us that as long as people, even some of the best people, are in charge, there's still going to be struggle and hurt and pain and abuse. Even David, even this person, this great king, David, is still going to struggle there. See, this story really echoes through history 
not just with David's successes, but with his failures. Not just with what he had, but also with what he lacked. It echoes through Solomon, Rehoboam, and the generations that come after them. Generations in which Israel is ruled and has someone on the throne, but they're still looking for their king. In Acts chapter 13, Paul is, uh, Paul is preaching here. Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch, Pisidia, and he calls back to that uh, text in 1 Samuel 13, where Saul is rejected. He's kind of telling the story of Israel, and he says, has this moment where he says, you know, Saul was rejected as king, and God, God told him that he had sought out a man after his own heart. It was David, the son of Jesse. And Paul doesn't really call attention to David's failures in this story. What he does instead is he talks about the great Messiah that would come after him. The Holy One who wouldn't decay in a grave and who was raised up despite his rejection by people. He says, you know, the king that we're really looking for was Jesus. The one that would come after, the promised one. And he says, talks about how the promises that were made to our ancestors, like David, have been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the one who ultimately fulfills not just what David got right, but what David lacked and what David couldn't do in his own. And I think about what it means for Jesus to follow this story. And on one hand, I think it's just the, the fact that that human king experiment has kind of failed. And ultimately it is not just a person with God's own heart that has to be, come and take the throne. God has to take the throne himself. God himself comes and to, to rule and to be the sovereign one over creation. That's what the story of Jesus is about. And the story of Jesus is a king that rules like no other king. He doesn't rule with his own power. Instead, he willingly suffers defeat at the cross. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't try to make people happy, but instead he is a person that uh, seems to care nothing about playing the political game and gaining favor from others. Jesus is the king that we needed even though he never would have been the king we would look for. Very much like, uh, like the book says about Daniel's uh, anointing, I mean, of David's anointing. Man looks on the outward appearance. But if you really want to know about King Jesus, you have to look at his heart and the way that he demonstrates the things that really are of God's own heart. And then I think the last thing that I want to say today is that the story of Jesus is still the story of God seeking partners in the world. Not partners who will take up power, but partners who will continue to fulfill God's mission. 
that will continue to, to work with King Jesus, under King Jesus, as his disciples, as his people in the world who are going to try to work through his mission, work with Jesus and his mission. And just like in the beginning when God was seeking a partner who would, who would rule in Israel, I think Jesus too is still seeking people of God's own heart. But not finished product people. Jesus doesn't go out and try to find those people who, who already have it all together, right? Instead, he calls in the ragamuffins and the outcasts and says, Come, it's possible for you too to learn what it means to have the heart of God. Preposterously, Jesus looks at fishermen and tax collectors and says, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And he teaches them that Jesus, that, that God doesn't withhold his love from others, but he, that he sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. And he teaches them to love their enemies. See, Jesus is collecting people who live in partnership with God, who live out God's own heart. But he doesn't expect us to just muster that up ourselves. Jesus is teaching us what it means to have God's heart. And through the gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is teaching and leading us to learn to live in a way that reflects what God wants and what God desires. To reflect God's own heart. So as we finish up this story of David, I, I would want to call you into joining it. Join in the spirit of David that was a, re a relentless responsiveness to what God wants. Join in with the mystery of what God is doing in the world and be like David. Inquire of God. Seek out what God is doing. Seek out what God wants. And come. Come to the one who is the last true king, Jesus. And let Jesus... Show you what it means to live by God's own heart. Let us be a people where everybody grows. And we do that because we seek the heart of God. I don't know what you think we're doing here when we gather here on Sundays and we worship and we sing and we pray and we gather at the table and we look over some uh, texts together, look over these ancient texts. What is it that we're trying to do together? I mean, really? What we're trying to do is listening to, we're listening to Jesus seeking out the heart of God. That's what we're doing together. Letting Jesus teach us, his disciples, what it means to live with his Father's heart. I hope that we're a people where everybody grows. And that we do that because we commit together with each other to seek the heart of God. Of God. We see it in stories like Daniel or David. We see it in all these stories of Scripture. We also see it in each other. I'm so grateful for a community of faith where I see people who I really believe live out the heart of God. God is placing His heart within us. 
and he's not done yet. Let's pray together. Oh, holy God, continue the work of making us like you. Continue to refine us and teach us and purify us. And oh God, would we be people that seek you as relentlessly as David did, as faithfully to the end. And Father, may we be responsive to those things that you're calling us to change and repent of, responsive to the things that you're leading us out into in the world. Oh God, would you change our hearts, create in us a new holy heart, a heart that looks like yours. In Jesus we pray, amen. If there is something that you wish to share uh, with the church today, some way that God is calling you to repent, or if you want to join in the group of people that are trying to seek the heart of God, we welcome you to do that while we stand and we seek together.